You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review. It is finally Friday, April 5th, and we love Fridays here because we break our teeth and break our head trying to traverse the minefield of lies and dissect the truth for all of you. Because I know a lot of you, really all of you, are starving for the unfettered truth, 100 proof, without any morsel of sugarcoating. And that's what we aim to do here. We don't want to do it, but we got to do it. And you know what? Until illegal aliens take over this abode, or until uh, a district judge puts an injunction on my show, I thank God I still have this beacon of, of speech, this freedom of speech, that you guys could hear it, that you guys are willing to tune in. And until then... I pledge to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. <sighs> oh boy. Oh boy. What do you want me to tell you today? Do you want me to tell you the morphine? Do you want me to tell you, um, even though we are incapable of... Um, protecting our own border and anyone who wants can come because it's the law even though it's not the law but Mexico has really pledged to take care of it for us so really you don't have to worry and it's okay now and come 2020 we're going to win more elections and vote Republican I don't think you want me to tell you that, so so I won't. From today's show, I want you to come out not just with a full understanding of the latest going on at the border, on immigration, the courts, but also more foundationally, more on a political level, more than policy, what is happening to us in general in the long, tr- in the long run, even without Trump, but particularly with Trump. The excuses, the delays, the low expectations, the Overton window that keeps moving, the goalposts that keep moving, the uh, heating up the frogs in the boiling water, but just enough that we don't realize that we keep moving over in one big giant scam. Those of you who tune into the show already know we've gone through this 15 times. The next time, the next time, the next time. Oh, no, don't worry. This is not a problem because, oh, really uh, – We're taking care of it. Remember in February, we said, this is it. You gave up your leverage. Could you imagine if the president today had the leverage of a CR, a budget bill, right now? He gave it away. But the Fox News base got distracted. He got distracted because when the president puts out tweets and talking points, it's a signal. Fox News... You put out these talking points. Conservative base, think like this. 
So the talking point was, no, I'm declaring an emergency to build the wall. <laughs> Whatever happened with that? What a joke. What a joke. Now you all realize what I said at first. It's not going to work. There's nothing to do with anything. Not going to work at all. Because it has nothing to do with our masochism as a nation. We need to will more than before we have a wall. Right? I called that shot not to predict the future or show that I'm right, but so you wouldn't get taken in and move with the Overton window. I want everyone to understand what's going on. And I said, what's going on is very simple. The laws are one way. The courts and the deference of these agencies are another way. There's a number of other things that haven't even been put into court yet that they haven't tried that we talked about a number of times. You either do them or you don't. We either have a country or we don't. It has nothing to do with the elections or anything. It's never going to change. But it's always a perfect scam. Don't worry. It's the 2020 elections. Let's make it a campaign issue even though nothing will change then. And until now, well, we're going to die by then anyway. Well, no, here's a morphine pill for you to take why it's not going to be a problem. And we fall for it every single time. So today I want you to understand a couple, couple of principles. When is it that elections will be a means to an end rather than the, the end itself? When is the time we're actually going to do it's number one. Number two, in general, I want to discuss with you the future of conservatism, low expectations, and the ever-moving of that Overton window. And finally, to understand this all, we have to understand the left makes policy. We make excuses. That's what we exist for on the right. So Trump went on a tweet storm about an hour or two ago. The crazed and dishonest Washington Post, again, purposely got it wrong. Mexico, for the first time in decades, is meaningfully apprehending illegals at their southern border before the long march up to the U.S. This is great and the way it should be. The big flow will stop. However, so, so right away he calls that shot. But then he realizes, oh, whoops, it's not going to stop. And he knows that. So he has to have a second one. However... If for any reason Mexico stops apprehending and bringing the illegals back to where they came from, the U.S. will be forced to tariff at 25% all, all cars made in Mexico <laughs> and shipped over the border to us. Sorry. just If that doesn't work, which it will, <laughs> I will close the border. This will supersede um, USMCA. Likewise, I am looking at an economic penalty for the $500 billion in illegal drugs that are shipped and smuggled through Mexico and across our southern border. Over 100,000 Americans die each year. Soon, many families will be destroyed. Heading to the southern border to show a section of the new wall being built, leaving now. <laughs> Jeez. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm just like, this happens to me on Friday when I'm just so overworked and I'm just like, I've lost it. So if I just totally lose it, just bear with me. <laughs> so let's let just first, before we break down what he's talking about and why it's it's a you know just made up, just just the notion that there's nothing we can do to secure our own border. 
There's nothing we could do to stop self-immolating and turning our border patrol rather into a deterrent, into busboys and a, and a free service for Central America, is to beg Mexico to stop it. Now, look, I'm, I'm all for, like, you know, leveraging them and doing stuff as an aside. I've been advocating that for over a decade. But that has nothing to do with what we're doing to ourselves. But it would be the equivalent of a 250-pound professional boxer having a five-year-old kid that tries to beat him up. And meanwhile, that five-year-old kid has to pass through a 100-pound woman before coming to the 250-pound boxer. And a 250-pound boxer says to that 100-pound woman, you, you better stop it. I mean, look, you're, all, you're our only hope, and if you don't do it, I mean, we're screwed. So you know, I'm really going to come down on you. That's literally what's happening now. It, it, it's laughable. That, that, that we've come to the point where all we can do is beg Mexico to help us is in itself a surrender of our sovereignty. So that's, that's number one. But moreover, so the president will not send the military. He will not designate the cartels as terrorists. He will not deputize state, all state and federal employees who wear badges and, uh, in, and uh, marshal them into immigration enforcement and have them hold the line at the border. He will not simply just suspend all asylum requests and any other immigration requests at our border. He will not have Border Patrol immediately on the spot just while they're getting them anyway, do the credible fear interview on the spot and deny their claim and set up tent cities and put all the immigration judges in the tent cities at the spot. There's no, we're not clearing the backlog in the interior anyway, so you may as well just stop the hemorrhaging, right? We're not really doing much to, to clear the internal backlog. And then at this point, you know, again, it's like if you have a flood in your house, it might be two feet deep. It's pretty severe, but there's no point in trying to bail out that water. If the gushing flow is coming through your door, you got to stop the door. So it's worth diverting whatever resources you have from the interior. Same thing with deportations. Now, this might run a little counterintuitive. It might sound like we're you know, heading into the interior, but to take ICE agents off the general interior deportations of criminal aliens and have them all deport Central American families that have final deportation orders. Obviously, tax remittances. Do that now. Um, many, many ideas we've had. I can't even think of them offhand. Maybe next week I'll do a list of 15. Tomorrow, they could vitiate florists. It's been way more than 45 days since they published the rule. I don't know why they haven't promulgated it yet. Okay? And have them bottle up in Mexico. Okay? Meaning, don't say, oh, I'm going to let them in, but please don't let them come near me because if they do, I have to let them in. Please stop them. No. We'll bottle them up at Mexico's northern border and shove it on them. Take our own destiny. I'm fine with playing hardball with them. But exactly as Todd Benzman told us in yesterday's show with Hungary. They got other countries to act, but they did it from a position of strength and not a position of weakness. 
But no, he won't do any of that. I, I, I promise you a Democrat president just from the sheer – A, the sheer embarrassment and B, because the conservative movement would actually be focused and would be pounding that person day and night. They would, they would have acted stronger as Obama did. July 25th, 2014, the heat of the original UAC surge from Central America. President Obama spoke. And um, he said very clearly, very clearly, I also emphasize to my friends here that we have to deter a continuing influx of children putting themselves at great risk and families who are putting their children at great risk. And so I emphasize that within a legal framework of humanitarian framework and proper due process, children who do not have proper claims and families with children who do not have proper claims at some point will be subject to repatriation to their home countries. I say that not because we lack compassion, but because in addition to being a nation of immigrants, we are also a nation of laws. And if you have a disorderly and dangerous process of migration that not only puts the children themselves at risk, but it also calls to question the legal immigration process of those who are properly applying and trying to enter to our country. Each president, because he met with other president, past presidents, here emphasized the degree to which they have already begun to make efforts I'm sorry, not past presidents. Um, he met with presidents of Central American countries. They've emphasized the degree to which they have already begun to make efforts to discourage this dangerous trafficking in children. And I want to thank them all publicly. I already did so privately. Um, yada, yada. And, um, you know, he went on to just say, basically, that, that this is going to stop. That was a fraction of what is going on today. I'll link to that in show notes if I could remember. Let me just make a make a note so you could read Obama's speech. Truth be told, it's just the one I found. I think there are much stronger ones at the time. And if for those of you who want to be of help to me, you know, you want to email me or tweet at me. I mean, I don't always see the tweets, but you you know, either way, you want to email me. Um, I will. I will try to, you know, put that out. But um, I, I, I lived it. I, I, I was writing at the time. I was covering it. And, um, you know, again, you know, he always played games in, in what he did, but at least rhetorically, he asserted sovereignty. But that's where we are today. This whole thing's a lie. They're not doing anything. As we noted, what they do is when Trump really pressures them, so each one needs a photo op. Trump needs a photo op for his base because basically basically Trump gave up. Trump has said that we have de facto open borders worse than any Democrat ever promised, and there's nothing we can do. But vote for me in 2020. We have to make it – see, it's even better because now we can make it a campaign issue. Well, there's two problems with that. Number one, what do you do until then? By then, literally – I mean the population of Honduras is what, like 9 million? What? So we're literally going to empty out like 10, 15% of the country by then? What are we going to do? And then also, what changes after 2020? The laws are the laws. Congress is not going to do anything. They don't have 60 votes. Okay? 
that's a whole discussion in of itself, but that's what they're, you know, that, that, that's what they're saying. And as we said, there's nothing Congress could do that won't elicit a new lawsuit. Again, what do you want them to write that's more emphatic than the president could shut off any time, any way for as long, and that even without the shutoff, asylum is only this, and they must be put into expedited deportation, and even if they have a claim... There's, they, they, they get no more than seven days, ideally 24 days, and they must be detained. That's what the law says. There's nothing more to write. All they'll do is do what they already did years ago that gave us Flores, which is not even a ruling. It's a settlement, which is they'll find some sort of case where a kid's in a facility – and they'll say, I understand the loss is this, but what DHS is doing with the law, it's they're, it's inhumane conditions, so you have to let out children. Or, or or they'll have a lawsuit, and then the government will settle. That That's what happened, just so you know. The law says the exact opposite. But this is what they're going to do. No, no, Daniel, but the Supreme Court, we might even get another pick. The Supreme Court will help us. Well, gee, we already have... A year of this flow, eight months of this severe flow, four months of this catastrophic flow, and there is no end in sight of any relief from the Supreme Court. And there's a reason for that. We've discussed that a number of times. So all of their false idols have been slayed. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. But he can't tell us that. So he has got to tell us, no, 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 don't worry, it's being taken care of. So with the Mexican government, it's the same thing they've already done. We ha- we've had a few rounds of this with the caravans. So the Mexican government will do one or two things, a photo op that shows that they're like making some sort of enforcement, and then they quietly sprinkle them in. A couple more points to be made before we get into the meat of this show and the fundamental point I want to make. This is just a side point. The Mexican government couldn't do it even if they wanted to. I'm not excusing them. I'm just saying reality, you can't substitute what we need to be doing to secure our own border to rely on them because they can't. They can't. They don't. They literally don't have control over their territory. The northern border, they have no presence. And much of the southern border, too, the Chiapas, is controlled by the by the, the Zetas and... Um, or Jalisco New Generation, I mean, they, they don't have control. Acapulco. I, I was speaking with um, Jason Jones, my buddy, friend of the show, last night, and and, and he was telling me when, when he was in Texas DPS, and he, was, he predicted two years ago Acapulco would be uninhabitable. You couldn't go there. They thought he was nuts because for years, the Mexican government always was able to protect the um, – resort towns because you know they relied so much on the revenue and they couldn't let that go and he said Acapulco is now the second most violent city it, it is like it's worse than in Afghanistan Cancun like okay that for short no Cancun has fallen and I, I, was, I said to him look you know basically it's just Mexico City that they always make sure I have control and he told me there are signs that they're going into Mexico City now too Frankly, there's nothing better for us if the, for, you know, I wish the entire Mexico City would fall and the entire government falls. 
because I think that's the only way to get us involved. We're all into regime change everywhere else. Now, again, to be clear, we don't need to do anything militarily with the cartels to stop bogus asylum. Okay, that, that's a separate issue. That you just, like, don't do it. But as you well know, there's a separate issue that at the end of the day, they're still getting in a lot of criminal activity. They're still endangering us. There's a lot of things, and we gotta we got to deal with that at some point. But that, that's a separate, that's not like the imminent problem. So anyway, e- even if I'm completely wrong in my reading of the diplomatic situation, which I know I'm not, I could just tell you it ain't happening. They, it, it, they, they can't. And um, this guy, John Daniel Davidson, a writer for The Federalist that, that really knows his stuff about the cartels and the border, he's covered it many years he testified before the Senate Homeland Security Committee. He said the same thing yesterday. He made that point. They just don't have the ability to do it. It's just not going to happen. But here, here, here's my main point here. Here's the main point. I am terrified of the Overton window. I am terrified that we are going to go along with this. And the more, the worse it gets, the more it becomes a new normal. And the more our expectations are lower, and the more we move the goalposts. Think about it. Think about it. When Trump was running in 2016, our goal was no-brainer. The president said, I will stop Obama's two amnesties. I will shut down illegal immigration. And then we were going to go on offense. We were going to roll back even Hart Seller and chain migration, diversity visa lottery, right? We were going to start fixing legal immigration. But it was a no-brainer. We were going to end illegal immigration. Okay, so that's, that's what happened. And indeed, when Trump became president, just the sheer – it's all incentives. It's all deterrent. That's all it is. If you tell them you could come here and we're going to give you bennies, they'll come. If you say you cannot come, we will not let you in. If we catch you on the interior, we're not going to give you anything. We're going to deport you. They won't come. It is that simple. You could plot it on a graph. But then Trump started talking about DACA. And again, what's DACA? What's the philosophy behind it? You come with a kid, you're here to stay. I have a report out today. I sent it around. It will be in show notes. 373,000 DACA amnesty permits have been renewed just since that retarded Judge William Alsop's ruling on January 10th of 2018. Total Trump administration is probably close to 600,000. But just since 2018, 373,000 illegal amnesties, work permits, social security cards, refundable tax credits, they're getting back around this time of year. We know they're the wealthiest people around. Uh, No, actually, they're not. Actually, they're all getting hefty refundable tax credits. On our dime, reprogramming funding from the Treasury for illegals. Nobody cares about that executive order. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole thing with the courts and how pathetic they are and whatever, and the court didn't even say you have to keep it, whatever. We've discussed that before. I don't want to get sidetracked because we have a lot to get to today. So we've gone backwards. He's codified it. 
Nothing on birthright citizen, nothing on anything. And then the flow started growing and growing. 30,000 a month, 40,000 a month, 50,000 a month. And while while those weren't like historically such outlandish numbers, again, they were the qualitatively, these are all the poorest people coming and we are all letting them in, we're all releasing them and they're not being deported. Again, back in the day, I've repeated myself over and over again, but it's worth repeating. We deported them within a few hours. So we were worse off. And then the last couple of months, it's just out of control, 60,000. And then in February, 76,000. Oh my gosh, you've never seen anything like it. And now we don't have the official numbers, but it would be probably be something like 100, 100, 200, 3,000 for the month of March. And talking about maybe 115,000 in April. My fear is this. The flow is not going to stop. But my fear is that it could be maybe by May or June. It could I could easily see the other way. But it is a possibility that the numbers will recede to maybe 70, 80, 90,000. And that is insane. That's 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 way after the point that we were like going nuts over. Frog in the boiling water, the Overton window. Our tolerance to insanity. Our low expectations. So Trump will be able to say, look, it's gone down from 115 to 80 in one month. And, you know, it'll be one or two months. It'll go up again. It'll go down again. My fear is just simply, I, I don't know. I don't have a good handle. And I'm researching this just demographically and just what's going on on the ground there. I, I'm starting to question if I don't know if theoretically there's just enough human beings around to keep growing the trajectory every month. It will stay a massive number no matter what. But, I mean, it could very well be. It's not It's not a matter of Mexico doing anything. It's just, I mean, as much as they're in dire economic circumstances and you let them in, they'll come. But, I mean, you still have to kind of uproot your life. I mean, there are a limited limited number of people that, that, that will come, even if it's a lot. So I'm just saying I could picture that happening. And that will keep the base at bay to not force the issue and demand action. See, it's, it's working. Look, look, it's working. And it will all be about 2020. Look, we'll make it an issue. We'll make it an issue. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what 2020 then looks like. Look at how that Overton window has moved. Look at how the goalposts have moved. So now it's going to be, we're going to slow the flow of new people the numbers of new people and futuristic people that will get amnesty. Not stopping the amnesty existing, not go, going on offense of birthright citizenship and welfare and chain migration, all this stuff. No, we're, we're, we're going to somewhat try to limit the new baseline of open borders. We're going to fix the laws, meaning so we're going to officially go on record as running that the laws we have say that anyone could come here when it's not true. And folks, that's the that's the thing here. The lie that's being told is that if someone claims asylum, they're, they're not illegal. They're, they're, it's, it's total legal. It's legal immigration. So therefore, if 7.8 billion people come to our border and claim asylum, it's, it's legal immigration. But it's not true. The baseline law is that if you come here, 
without proper documentation, you are here illegal. You have committed a crime. Certainly, you're deported. You're subject subject to expedited deportation, but you have committed a crime. It the penalties for the first time is is low, but technically is a class B misdemeanor, which is a criminal offense. Asylum is, I, I may. In the process, say I have a credible fear. In order to get discretionary relief, notice it's called discretionary relief. What do you mean discretionary relief? It's affirmative. I have a right. That, no, no. The law, there, of course, is no right. We never would have written something. That's not how it's written. We have sovereignty. You cannot come here. You come here, you're deported, and you're a criminal. Now, usually we're not going to want to prosecute you, you know, credible fear. We're just saying it's bogus. Get out of here. But technically, we could prosecute you. Oh, so the, the, the attorney general, and then eventually became a DHS secretary, may give you a reprieve. And Certainly, it's not shall, and even then, it's here's the process for doing it. And it's always, again, the presumption's on you. You have to prove it. And again, they cannot give you asylum if it's not an individualized persecution based on ethnicity, religion, political view, or social group. You cannot be released at any point. You cannot drag out your appeal more than seven days and ideally needs to be 24 hours. That is the law. The law is that if your fear is unfounded and that is completely subject to us, Section 235B1B1 uh, of the INA, you are placed into expedited deportation, quote, without further hearing or review. That's the baseline. Now, what if you appeal, you get that expeditious process shall be detained. That's the thing. There is no right to asylum. There's no right to credible fear. You understand it was written that way in order never to say you must do it. It was written to give them a little flexibility if they want to. Meaning all things equal, the law really is written that Congress is telling the executive branch, I don't want these people. We don't want these people. But, you know, obviously these are real legitimate asylees we want. So we just tell them you have discretion to grant relief to those that are asylees from breaking our laws. But here is the rigid confines through which you can only do it. But certainly if the administration is clear they don't want to do it and prima facie it's bogus, my view is, of course, prima facie is bogus. You don't have to even deal with this. It's obvious. Nobody would ever say that. But if you want to play the Amelia Bedelia shtick, so what I'm telling you is you could have a rocket docket right at the border with the 10 cities. You corral them. And again, the 10 cities is only because we, we've allowed it to get this long, so we literally don't have room to hold them in. So you have to create that new space so they don't get away. And you get rid of them within 24 hours. Why do you think nobody ever thought of this in the world until now? If the law says what they say it says, why is this the first time we've had this problem? Why did no one ever think of this? To this magnitude. The laws were on the books since 52, modified in a certain way in 1980. 
And if anything, they were made much tighter in 1996 to prevent all of this. They never did it because everyone understood it was all discretionary. It was at our discretion. We have sovereignty. But we telegraphed the message starting to a certain extent with Obama. But really, Trump cemented it by being weak with the courts. That this is it. That there's nothing I – he's telling the world there's nothing I can do. Even Obama never did that. There's nothing I can do. The laws are crazy, he says. The the laws don't say that. Yeah, now now that's been telegraphed. These laws have been on the books for a long time. It is the biggest lie around. But that is the Overton window. Let me move off to something else and come back to this. Same point. The courts. It all comes back to that. Glenn Beck, now, now a colleague here at Blaze Media... He invited me on his TV show on Wednesday. Some of you might have seen it. I'm going to link to the video if you haven't seen it. Again, let me uh, make a note of that so I don't forget. Um, And he wanted to discuss, get my thoughts on the new Democrat litmus test in the primary for the presidential election to uh, expand the Supreme Court, pack the courts. And basically, he had, I, I was brought on to listen to his opening monologue of the show. It's you know like fifteen minutes, you know, and he was he was getting very passionate about it. You know, they're they're gonna pack the courts, and I mean, can you imagine that they're gonna corrupt the courts? And you know, this is how crazy they are, and. Like meanwhile, you know, my heart sunk. I was like, "Oh, geez, not not this." Oh man, um, oh man, this is just like no, this this cannot be. Oh man, like I don't know what to do with this. Um, so when 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 he had me on, I um, I felt bad about doing this at first because you know you know when someone brings you on because they want to make a certain point, you, know, you want to try to. Make the point of the host. But the deal is, the deal is, I went ahead anyway and just did my thing. And I said, really, you know what? This whole thing is not even, it's even worse than that. I said, what the courts are already doing is what you're talking about. The courts have already reached critical mass. The Democrats have already rigged the game because he was saying they're going to rig the system. I said, they've already rigged it. Heads they win, tails we lose. And I went on to just you know talk, to tell him that, look, they don't need to do this. And in fact, it's not even the issue. The issue is the courts don't have such power, and that's what we need to fight. And I said, if you're scared of AOC and how radical they are, New Green Deal, I got news for you. The courts are enacting the New Green Deal. Abolish ICE, I got news for you. They've abolished ICE, and they've abolished the Border Patrol already. What do you think is happening at our border? It's all because of judges. And you know, most hosts I'm on, they, they want to make their point. They kind of like push back. And Glenn is a very thoughtful guy. He, um, he, he's open to learning new things. But that that is something about him. There's other people that are very very headstrong. 
he is intellectually curious. He's a curious person. So even though, you know, like I, 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 I am, I guarantee you, if I would have a conversation with him about jailbreak and the facts on the ground of what of our criminal justice system, I would change his mind. He wouldn't think the way he does. But that's a different discussion. And he looked at me and he said, so Daniel, what you're saying is that this is really the Overton window. That the left is sitting in and throwing out this like really radical far out thing that is just totally you know, outlandish. They're never going to wind up doing it. And then it's going to look like we think we won. And what they're doing now looks relatively sane, but really they got us. And we're suddenly used to it. And I said, I said, Glenn, you, you, you explained this better than I could have ever done. You, that's exactly the point. And I went on to just explain more how the courts are now, you know, 25 examples or so where they're saying the president must continue Obama's policies and we're losing it. And he just sat there and was like, Daniel, I got to have you back. We got to talk about this more. Very interesting discussion. And I, I felt very good about it because I felt like, you know, he has good intentions, but a lot of people just don't study this closely enough and don't understand it. And he really was willing to learn. He was really willing to learn. So that's what got me thinking. Everything really is an Overton window. We become acculturated to this, and then it's the next thing, the next thing. And before we look, before we realize anything, we're worse off on healthcare. We're worse off on debt. We're worse off on freedom. We're worse off on culture. We're worse off on immigration. But what social media has done to us, it's bombarded us where we can't think. We don't have any respite to, to take stock broadly of what's going on and and understand the Overton window. You know, when um, Pharaoh was fearful that the Jews would start rebelling because Moses was starting to warn him, we're going to take them out. What did he do? He said, not only do you have to build the pyramids, build the stuff for us, but we're not going to supply you the raw materials. You have to construct the raw materials and gather them first. Now, why did he do that? Right, this is, what, what is it? Um, chapter 4, chapter 5 of Exodus. And the reason why he did that is because as busy as they were, and it was tough work, there was cl- clearly some respite at some point, maybe at night, they could think. You don't want people thinking because when you could think, you're like, hey, I'm not going to take this crap anymore. You know what? And you start organizing a rebellion. If you want to quell a rebellion, you have them gather the raw materials and they literally don't have an ounce of strength, of resolve, physical or mental, emotional, and it will quell any rebellion. It will quell any rebellion. That's what social media has done to us. And that's also what this political morphine, political heroin, political fentanyl has done to us. There's always going to be something to get us excited about. An excuse will explain away half of it with an excuse. The other half will be the next time. It's not as bad as you think. 
There might be an ancillary benefit. We could use it as a campaign issue. Gosh, by 2020, by 2021, we could have the best year possible. Republicans could win governorships, take back the House. Trump gets reelected. I'm telling you, if we don't assert ourselves and create a movement, and I know you're asking me, Daniel, what do I do? I, I Humbly, I, I submit, I don't know. But the first thing I need to do is call the shots so we, we understand that we don't at least become okay with it. And we understand what we can do, or we should be doing at least. That's the goal here today. So anyway, folks, that's where we are today. We're like the frogs in the boiling water. And, and, and I know there's always going to be some jerk that's going to be like the opposite. They're going to do the Overton window the other way. Daniel, you know, if you get $100, someone tweets at me, you, you just complain it's not a $1,000. But again, you have to understand what you're gaining and what you're losing ground on. And that's my point. It's like, you know, if the president says, I'm going to get rid of birthright citizenship and chain migration, and we get rid of birthright citizenship but not chain migration, to, to me, that, that that's significant because, you know, that's something we weren't doing before. It's Each one is very consequential on a force-multiplying policy. So, I'll, I'll, look, I'll, I'll take what I can get. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening at all. What's happening is we are losing our sovereignty beyond any time that we've ever had. Again, some of it, Trump, it's not it's not that Trump initiated it or his fault, but if the courts are doing it on your watch, and one after another, they literally say that you must continue. I mean, you must continue, DACA. Look. The asylum thing is very complicated. You know, you're a smart audience. I've give it, given it over a few times. It gets in the weeds. This is very simple. You're saying you're not allowed to make illegal immigrants illegal that are illegal pursuant to law. And a judge says you must give them affirmative benefits. So what are we going to say there? Uh, 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 we need to fix the law. No, no, there's nothing to fix. You, you see what I'm saying? No, nobody could deny what I'm saying is true when it comes to DACA. I mean, that's very clear what, where the law is. So, I mean, at some point, you got to address... It's like we're turning over all the stones, but the one variable that we make fixed and not a variable is the courts. And again, I'm not even... like. All I'm saying is to delegitimize the mixture of insidious forum shopping for a lower judge at a universal injunction level, especially when other courts clearly disagree. Like I write today in my column on DACA, the 11th Circuit said the opposite. It said DACA is unlawful. That's all I'm saying. And the thing is, where is Barr, the Attorney General? Is he more impotent than Bob Dole's, you know what? I mean, where where is he? Why is he not giving a speech? And like, look, I'm not even saying to do any action or inaction pursuant to a court. But at least rhetorically push back. Give a speech. Say what I'm saying. Say the laws say this. They cannot be clearer. Connect with the American people. The president, too, could do this on some level. He's smart enough to do that. You don't have to be that smart. Read Section 2. It would be vintage Trump to read Section 212F. Right? That's not like you know certain, obviously, parts of uh, code don't exactly go over well in a speech. That one does. Boy, does it go over well. 
It reads like butter. Read it to people. People don't even know this. Use your bully pulpit. I mean, that was also the big thing. That, that, that's what a district judge doesn't have. You have a bully pulpit. Use it. That, that's what's so tough because if the president would have been taking my advice, he would have been building up to this for two years. So that by now it would have been obvious the country would be laughing out of these judges and it would be obvious. It wouldn't be, Daniel, Daniel, do you think we should not listen to judges? No, everyone would understand. No, the judge is not listening to the law. But yeah, it's hard to reinvent the wheel, but you got to start somewhere. At least start building up the rhetorical case. I just spoke with a friend in the deep in a deep state of an agency where he deals with immigration. It's not traditionally the type of agency that you probably think it is. It's been very hard to get a hold of him ever since he had this job. We never talk. And I talked to him this morning. And he was just telling me, Daniel, you, you, you don't understand these people in the administration. They are such judicial supremacists. They just can't get it through their brain. He's had conversations with them about this, you know, because he he's a lawyer and obviously knows immigration policy, and they, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. That is the Overton window. We have now set a baseline that a single judge, a single judge could shut, could spawn an invasion, giving the cartels billions of dollars, and there's nothing we can do about it. You can't challenge the legitimacy of the standing. You can't. If a foreign national with a caravan could come in prospectively invade and get stand, standing, there's nothing left. Let me boil your blood even more. Our friends at the Immigration Reform Law Institute, early, is the acronym, said, announced that. Um, Two families of illegal aliens from Central America are suing the Trump administration officials in a Massachusetts federal district court over their treatment after they crossed the border illegally. The families claim that the month-long separation of the parents from their children when the parents were in jail for a criminal offense violated their constitutional rights. They seek monetary damages from their defendants who are being sued as individuals, not in their official capacity. Early this week followed a friend of brief court in support of the Trump officials. Folks... Do you understand Kate Steinle's parents cannot sue in court when local officials violate federal sovereignty law? But illegal aliens could break into the country, not just get rights, not just have a court say you have to be let go and you can't be separated, but you can now sue them for separating you. I mean, any smart lawyer for an American criminal now would file a motion and sue government for separating them from their kids. What do you think happens to every American criminal? Let me tell you something. If we as a P as a government or as a people would demand from our government that we be treated at least equal to illegal aliens in focus and in protection of the law, the constitution, We'd be better off than we are now. Talk about an Overton window there. It's out of control. 
It's getting worse and worse and worse. And if you are a Republican president or Republican senator, Republican congressman, and you're confronted with this from the courts and you don't do anything about it, you are complicit in setting and establishing that baseline. So then later on, it's a lot harder to come back. The easiest time to push back is the first time it happens. But once you let it go, then yeah, yeah, now it's the baseline. But not only do they let it go, they rhetorically, there's one thing if you're like, this is illegitimate, the courts are not following the law, but ultimately you wind up kind of like just following it. But at least you laid down that marker. Instead, Trump's like, no one even knows. People don't know. People think, yeah, like that's what the law says. I mean, why would people know otherwise? Who in their right mind sits and reads the INA or understands the history behind it? The best I could do is try to get this out. It's getting out there. I guess I got to do it again and again and again and again. And continue to demonstrate in, in, in you know slightly different ways. You know, I know some of you who are avid readers or listeners, you might like, yeah, you know this already, but I got to keep banging away at it. The presumption of our laws is always on American sovereignty. You never have a claim to come in here and certainly not a claim to come in and be released. That is nowhere in law. Nowhere in law. There's a couple of places where the administration has discretion to do that if they want to. There is nowhere in law where you have a presumptive right to demand that against an administration that doesn't want to give it. Under no circumstances. Even if you read the International Treaty on Asylum, the nations wouldn't have signed on to it. They always had these very categorical exceptions that they could always invoke that if they feel it's damaging if they feel right and it's very like broadly written again the statute on ju- just the statute on on health concerns inadmissibility on health grounds 1182a7 of the US code it's just very clear if you if you believe that there's health concerns or if they have not dem- shown shown their vaccination documentations Done. That that applies to all of them. 1182 is all the inadmissibles. That's that's the inadmissibles. It was written very broad. Somehow we're always okay with broad things every other direction, but not when it comes to pr- protecting American sovereignty. And again, there's always been a philosophy behind it. It's just not true. I'm contesting the very premise of this entire debate. Not just from an academic standpoint, but strategically, A, we're not going to fix it in Congress, and B, there quite literally really is nothing they could do. Meaning, if, if I, if I cre- keep um, reinstalling a window and someone keeps throwing a ball through it, I'm like, we need to fix that window. Like, No, you need to go out and beat up that guy doing it or get him out of there or neutralize him in some other way because, you know, whatever. Now, it's not a good analogy because under my analogy, the guy actually did poke a hole in your your, uh, window. 
Here, on the other hand, that's exactly what Hamilton meant when he said courts have neither force nor will. They can't. They don't strike down. So you read 1225, the statute still says you shall detain them pending any appeal on on credible fear. You shall detain them. It's that simple. Shall detain means shall detain. Nothing more, nothing less. A court doesn't do that. It's If someone envisions throwing a ball in your window and you replace your window because they envision they're doing it. That's how pathetic we are. And that's why I keep mentioning the Overton window. Because, again, what is the Overton window? It's the spectrum of what is considered reasonable political that's not too extreme to posit in the public sphere within a window. The left has successfully moved that window. We don't. We never move it back the other way. So my fear is that we have allowed them to establish an accept a degree of acceptability that it is within that window to literally not at all, not at all, have any sovereignty. That our laws really say the opposite, and that anyone could just come. And that's normal. And now we have to do something radical to go and change that. It's the other way around. We at least need to have enough people like myself and hopefully other people that are willing to speak the truth on these issues so it doesn't get lost forever. And the more you do that and the more you pull the Overton window back, then there's certain degrees of their stuff that becomes unacceptable. And by the way, if you understand the Overton window, this is why judicial supremacy, and particularly lower court forum shopping universal injunctions, are so damaging. Because aside from just the practicality of during the time that they put those injunctions on and the other branches of government follow that, There's months, if not years, of irrevocable harm, certainly as we're seeing vividly on immigration. I mean, you could not possibly imagine the harm that is taking place when you see the flow from 2014, the number of MS-13 we had from these kids. You could only imagine now what's happening. I have another article out on that today. But what happens is, with this Overton window, with the courts, is that A politician doesn't want to cast that first stone. That's too radical. No border patrol, no ICE, total socialized medicine. You're not allowed to drill for oil anywhere. Okay? So what they do is they have the courts, which are unelected. No one's even going to know who these guys are. There's no reprisal. There's no risk to, to... positing something that's unthinkable, radical, unacceptable. And they get people used to it. So it doesn't just create a legal momentum in the legal system, but it does certainly does that, but even a political velocity. So now it's normal. It's normal that courts could do this. It's normal that illegals have the right to sue 
and rights to access the courts. We've become okay with that. We expect that now. That was unthinkable before. The court said so for for over 100 years. And we move it and move it and move it. And the left is so good at manipulating the Overton window to their their advantage. And we have been so good at seeding that ground. You know, if you want to talk about radicalism and what we have seeded and become acculturated to and have accepted... I want to read you a story that just, again, I know I'm going to tick you all off, but that's my job here. It's a little old. It's from November. But remember when we were covering New Mexico, um, Hidalgo County, this is a little bit further over in Deming. It's, um, geez, what's that county called? It's the one right right next to it, and I forget. But um, Palomas, Mexico, and Deming, New Mexico. With her backpack, this is from the Christian Science Monitor. With her backpack slung over one shoulder, Gabriela Corona strolls toward the U.S.-Mexico border as casually as if she is crossing the street to school, which in many ways she is. At this early hour, it is so black outside that the scrubland seems to disappear, though the bright lights of the U.S. port of entry punch the sky. Gabriella passes walls of barbed wire, camouflage-clad Mexican officers carrying big, big guns, and U.S. Border Patrol agents who sit on stools inside the entry building with their arms crossed. On the far side of the building, on United States soil, the passageway narrows. None of this phases Gabriella, junior in high school. She has been doing this for almost a decade. She is one of the 850 students who cross the border every weekday in Palomas, Mexico, to attend school in Luna County, New Mexico. That, that's where it is. The students are all U.S. citizens who live in or near Palomas with their Mexican parents. It is an arrangement that has been in place for generations long enough to become natural in a region where economic and ancestral ties lace across the man-made line that divides the countries. Palomas seems to organize itself around the school day outflow. Women sell home-cooked food from tables near where parents drop off their kids. On the other side of the barbed wire, an American school bus is waiting for Gabriela and her young siblings, Alejandra and Diego. The bus represents an opportunity to attend a better school or even to attend school at all. In Mexico, public education typically ends at age 15. Just uh, just skipping here a little bit, um, you know, to go down. Opponents of Luna County's education policy argue that U.S. taxpayers shouldn't pay to educate students who live in Mexico, but local leaders argue that their program makes economic sense. These students are the country's next generation. They may live in Palomas today, says Mayor Benny Hasso of Deming, but one of the, one of the two towns whose public schools educate border crossers, but it's very likely that they will live in the U.S. later. Um, okay. Now look at this. Local... Supporters are quick to remind opponents that arrangement in Deming public schools is legal. Well, legal-ish. A mixed citizenship family structure is increasingly common along the border, but the ratio of these families in Palomas, a town of less than 5,000 people, is particularly high. Some Mexican-American families move to Palomas from within Mexico for the schooling arrangement or local agricultural opportunities or a combination of the two. 
And many families move to Palomas after one parent is deported since it allows children to use their U.S. citizenship to study and work there. Other families' border crossings are a product of the area's remoteness. The closest Mexican hospital is in Juarez, two hours east. So when soon-to-be mothers come to U.S. Customs with labor pains, many patrol officers let them through to the hospital 45 minutes north in Deming. For decades, New Mexico state and U.S. federal policy approved this humanitarian arrangement. In 2010, Palomas agreed to renovate a small clinic and staff it around the clock. Now only expectant mothers with emergency medical needs are officially eligible to cross the border to give birth. The new arrangement has cut the number of such births in Deming approximately in half, as reported to, to reported 52 in, in uh, 2017. <sighs> I want you to read the whole article and read it carefully. We pay for the rope to hang ourselves with. We just do. That's what it is. I'm sorry to say it. It's just like the article I wrote today with the UACs. We pay to settle as refugees billions of dollars now, reprogramming from American healthcare programs, which would be sacrilege under any other context, but you're allowed to reprogram for, for you know, because what's more sacrilege than socialized medicine for Americans is bringing in, bring in more illegals. We pay for them to come here. We pay for them to take advantage of us. We pay for them to vote in our elections. We pay for them to distort our census and our reapportionment. We pay for them to steal our citizenship. We pay for them to become members of MS-13. We pay for them to commit heinous crimes. And all the while that we pay for them, we create a create a, a conveyor belt of the Mexican cartels to earn billions of dollars so they could further flood us with drugs and transnational gangs and criminals. That is the America we live in today. Look, I'm sorry to end off the week on such an unpleasant note. But at least if we could still say these things and speak the truth, I'm thankful to God for that. That the voice can be heard. It's getting out there. I'm very impatient like you are. When are they going to get the message? But that's why I'm so incessant and repetitive about this. We got to drum it in. Keep showing examples. You guys are a big help. You could help me, by the way. You know, by you know, a lot of times I don't see things and a lot of friends of the show, you've emailed me things and showed me things that I myself, you know, just didn't have time to see and it helps build the case. Keep doing that. Be part of this this team, be part of this movement. Um and we'll uh, you know, we'll move on from there. But we've had a very productive week, thank God, and we're looking forward to another one. Enjoy your weekend. I certainly am looking for some uh boy. <laughs> emotional rest in addition to a physical rest but god bless y'all thank you so much this has been another episode of the conservative conscience